Welcome to the monthly podcast, The Wealth of Generations. If you like to build true wealth for generations, this podcast is for you. There is a saying that goes, the wealthy can create something from nothing while average people have to pay for everything. Being financially sophisticated is the fundamental requirement for being financially free. When people roll up their sleeves, start a business, and create something of value, financial wealth and freedom should be expected to follow. But today, too many times, financially sophisticated people seem to be mistrusted, assumed to be liars, cheaters, and often even immoral. I am sure you remember at least one of the latest financial scandals of people who have mishandled large sums of public money, created pyramid schemes, or received unjustifiably high amounts of money in bonuses and salaries. In such an environment, it seems easy to argue against an urgent need for more financially sophisticated people. To achieve financial sophistication, we will need to relearn certain simple economic principles. We will need to start spending our money and time in a way so that we lay the groundwork for our children and grandchildren to live the dream that we all aspire to, it is the dream of personal financial freedom. It is a journey of generations that our fathers and mothers have started. Today, the level of uncertainty in both goals and the means to achieve them is undermined by systematic uncertainty. This uncertainty has many sources, political upheaval, distance from centers of power and of economic concentration by the mass of our citizens, and an increasingly competitive world global climate and the general speeding up of events. Many people are waking up though, with the nightmare of private and public financial disasters that have been all around us in recent years. Our current financial habits have already pushed many people into financial ruin because of the assumption of overwhelming debt burdens. Yet we still tend to worship the gross domestic product. Even at the national level, we tend to forget that the GDP is not a surefire gauge of economic health. America's GDP is primarily a reflection of private domestic consumption, and it does not tell us anything about whether it has been generated by capital or by labor. How can the use of resources alone be a gauge of productivity? The critical point is that private consumption accounts for more than two-thirds of the entire GDP in a service economy and is rising every year. Where then is innovation occurring? America still leads in new product development, but we should not forget that these innovations' profits may be unrecoverable for the average consumer. These conditions show how necessary underlying financial sophistication is. In an economy, we cannot presume simple cause and effect chains. Instead, it becomes challenging to trace the effects of, for example, financial stimulus packages. The old concept of Keynesian economics was that fiscal stimulus had a direct and immediate impact on the economy's health. A moment's reflection though it will show that in a world economy, the incentive of consumer spending in a consumer-oriented nation may increase wealth mostly in those countries farther down the national economic pyramid. At present, the textile industry is dominated by offshore exporters to purchase new clothing then is really to send dollars overseas rather than to strengthen our national declining union textile factories. Even such an action as drinking more coffee may impoverish the soil and the general welfare of coffee exporting nations. How is this so? If we buy coffee at what we now call fair trade prices only, the export of coffee causes the domestic population that harvests the coffee beans to fall deeper into servitude to large coffee plantations. So, we describe the dynamic of victimization in the modern world, and it takes sophistication not to fall victim to changing economic conditions.
I wrote this book for the average person to help improve his or her financial situation. This book discusses income and asset value control and explores the means that may be employed to control our own emotions when triggered by greed, lust, excess, pride, envy, wrath, and sloth. In the short term, this might lead to some sacrifices that people will have to make. For example, I have tried to teach my son the virtue of patience by showing him the benefits of deferred consumption, I offered him one candy now or two candies after dinner. Financially sophisticated people understand this concept of patience and deferred gratification very well because they are essential prerequisites for investing. They know how to wait to make money. The average person likes instant gratification, and the current overall economy prefers that too. Instant gratification might support the GDP in the short run. However, it will tend to lower the total national resource base in the long run because the money spent in consumption will no longer be available for personal or entrepreneurial investment. Certain people might not like this book since overall consumption and economic growth might stagnate in the short term when more people follow my advice. But more people will become financially free by following the prescriptions in this book than would occur if they proceeded with mindless consumption while awaiting a winning lottery ticket. As we become more financially sophisticated, self-reliant, and trusting in our talents and resources, the offer of a corporate job will become less attractive. Instead, we may wish to pursue our sense of personal mission by utilizing our talents and investigating the many opportunities available in our immediate environment. In a world of financially educated, independent, and entrepreneurial employees, the old personnel management method becomes both unnecessary and counterproductive because self-starter supervision is often more a hindrance than a help. Where then will corporations find the automatons that formerly constituted the majority of their workforce? The answer has been by exporting low-level employment to third-world nations. Domestically, eco-friendly campuses characterize the most creative companies where management prizes ideas and communication over routine fear-based compliance with corporate mandates. When we treat employees as children who are only looking for an opportunity to misbehave, these employees tend to adopt the same behaviors that we try to prevent by supervising them like children. In such a working environment, habits like confidence and self-reliance, which are personality prerequisites for independent investing, are stifled daily by working in such a job. How can this vicious cycle of demoralization be broken? Many employees I know use their leisure time after work for nothing other than nearly restoring their confidence and energy level to face the same dull routine on the following day. On the flip side, when people become financially more independent, the pool of skilled and talented employees will shrink dramatically. How can companies still get the work done and compete in the world economy? The answer artificial intelligence. With AI-supported automation, corporations don't need to rely on a human workforce and salaried positions. Many of my friends, for instance, run small businesses. Some got into financial trouble after September 11th and the crisis of 2008 and had to reduce their workforce. These employers shared with me their experience when they had to tell some of their longtime employees that they would have to lay them off. These employees had previously depended upon their employer to support them and their families over many years. It was a devastating situation for both the employee and the employer. It was painful for the employer because he could no longer support them financially. And it was difficult for the employees because their boss, whom they had looked up to as a source of stability and strength, had to admit his limitations in the declining economy.
How much less painful it would have been if the employer had known that his employees could depend upon a reliable personal safety net provided by their financial investments to serve as a source of income. The nature of that safeguard will vary with the investment levels and the type of assets that can provide income during times of reduced income from labor. In the fast-approaching era of artificial intelligence, relying on income from work and government support alone is becoming increasingly risky. It is one of the primary motivations for me to write this book to prevent that sense of desperation in people who follow such a predictable path in their careers. In a world of skilled labor performed by humans, layoffs are not the exception, they are the rule. When the concepts in my book became widely accepted, more people would experience personal freedom and security, lessen the financial fear that has governed so many of us. When employees are treated as individuals rather than merely fungible labor or mere production capacity, humanity might finally rise to the next level. It becomes clear that companies that adopt such a new human-centered economy combined with deploying artificial intelligence will have a better chance of prosperity. To obtain this degree of security and freedom, employees will have to change their habits and become more financially responsible. They will have to make sacrifices in their lives by delaying consumption to have starter capital to invest. Dave Ramsey says in his book The Total Money Makeover, a proven plan for financial fitness would take into consideration the following advice, stop buying with money you do not have things you don't need to impress people you don't like. I challenge you to rethink the way you have traditionally made money. You can only contribute to a positive future for your children when you are first really free yourself. Financial freedom then is both a spiritual and a material quest. To understand how limited your present freedom is, you might consider the following graph. Have a look at the typical income distribution of the working class, middle class, and the class called the 1%. A report titled Income and Income Discrepancies shows the differences between average employees, the CEO, and the owner of BMW. The average employee at BMW AG, including management at BMW AG, made €200,000 in 2011. Robert Riathofer, CEO of BMW, made about €6 million Euros in 2011. The owning family of BMW received about €650 million. Euros. Of course, there is nothing wrong with the fact that company owners make a lot of money. Creating and owning valuable assets like BMW AG is what I propose in this book, and the fact that families and individuals have done it demonstrates that creating and owning such assets is possible and very effective. In the graphic above, we can hardly see the income of an average employee and manager of a company like BMW AG. Compared to the owner's profit, we can barely even see the salary of the CEO, although some people might even criticize him for pocketing too much money. The current company owners, however, received €650 million Euros through dividends in 2011 by having an armada of employees work for mere nothing spending most of their time offering mostly nothing else than their skilled labor. How much difference would it make to most people's quality of life if the shares of income are equal and more equitable? Equitability and equality, at least historically speaking, have never been attainable except forcefully in the case of totalitarian societies like National Socialism in Germany or Communism. The better course towards a redistribution of societal resources is to take not the path of waiting for history to provide an answer, but to provide a solution from within ourselves. 
We conclude that real social progress can only arise through individual efforts by achieving the necessary financial education usually not taught in school. Instead, today, young people are taught to expect some strange incipient victory in life by either obtaining the dream jobs or winning the lottery. No matter how smart we are, no matter how hard we work as employees, we will soon not be able to support our family, and we will not be able to help future generations out of our wage earnings. We can start working on our asset portfolio today, no matter how small it is. Whatever we believe in, and no matter how much money we have, we can now grow our wealth by allowing technological improvements like artificial intelligence to propel our efforts. Archimedes once said, Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. We join a different class of people, those who have tools in addition to their sweat labor. Income growth in the 19th century primarily occurred because of what we called the robber barons who attained great wealth by cutthroat competition or exploiting non-union labor. But today, enormous wealth is being generated by individuals who found a way to leverage new technologies, which have created entirely new industries practically overnight.